On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire left. Like a path, they clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Well, welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and today I have a returning guest. Chief Flagler is back to talk about some firefighting in the United States. So, Chief, I'll turn the mic over to you, and you can share your story from the road. Thanks, Phil. Uh, I've been a firefighter for, I can't believe I'm saying this, 30 years now. Uh, in one form or another, I started as a volunteer firefighter in a small town, my hometown, and that's certainly how I got into the business. My father was a volunteer firefighter my whole life, and it's something I always knew I wanted to do, at least uh, in some capacity. I thought I was going to have another career, and I was just doing it for fun. And I was in college, and I realized that I had a part-time job as a firefighter where all I thought about was getting back to work. And it made an impression on me, and I really put my mind to being a career firefighter and became a career firefighter. Um, and that was 30 years ago. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying it. Um, and 21 years ago, I was hired by a big city department, or at least a big city in my mind. We have about 900 personnel. Um, and I've worked for there for that department ever since. And I've gone up the ranks. I'm now what's known as a district chief, which is kind of uh, like an orchestra conductor um, that puts all the pieces together at an emergency and tries to make everybody's work uh, mesh with one another. You know, I think if you ask any firefighter, there's always an address that sticks out in their mind as one that's significant to them. Sometimes the address is because it's a place where we have a lot of nuisance calls and just 
a set of numbers and a street name, and you'll hear either groans or cheers or a couple of stories about a particular address. Um, certainly in my career, I can think of several, but one that's very notable to me was a place called King's Towers Apartments. And King's Towers Apartments is on the north end of our city, and it's um, an apartment complex of about five different buildings of uh, various shapes and sizes. Um, we call it a type three, which means that it's got brick walls and wood floors and wood walls. It's also probably not the best place to live. Uh, a lot of underprivileged people would call that place home, King's Towers Apartments. Um, and we go there a lot. Our engine company that is the first in in that neighborhood um, spends a lot of time at King's Towers, usually for medical assist calls um, where we're going to help people that you know have a medical problem or a medical need. Um, however, one night there was a fire in that apartment complex at King's Towers. The fire came in at about five in the morning. And for our firefighters who get off work at seven, um, the hours in the very early mornings, probably between about 3 a.m. and about 6 a.m. is when things finally start slowing down for us. And so you'll see firefighters actually get a chance to rest. They'll close their eyes, maybe sleep a little bit. And that was the case on this rainy morning. It came in as a fire alarm drop, which for us is a very routine call. Uh, only a small number of firefighters are sent, almost always false. And as the initial companies were turning out, asleep in their eyes, um, turned out it was a fire. And the firefighters that arrived on scene first were attempting to make the fire attack. And the hose line that they were taking down the hall was blocked by the way the stairs were built in the building. The fire grew. The good news is that we rescued 13 people off of balconies and windows, made some extraordinary rescues. The bad thing was that the fire continued to grow and we started calling for more and more help. And one of those companies that came to help us um, was our heavy rescue company that came all the way from our downtown fire station, several miles away, came in our third alarm for help. And one of the firefighters on that company was searching um, in the building because the fire had you know, grown beyond the capacity of the first units, and he was looking for more people to save. And I remember this fire very well because while all that was going on, I was in our dispatch center. I was covering for the dispatch center manager. And I remember waking up and I heard the run and I turned the radio on and it just, something stuck in my mind that it wasn't right. And I told my wife, you know, I'm just going to go into work today. And so I was in the dispatch center uh, when the first mayday call for help came in. Uh, the firefighter on that heavy rescue actually had fallen down an elevator shaft and was trapped in the shaft. The firefighters made a heroic and valiant effort to try to save his life. And um, they pulled him from the elevator shaft and they took him to the hospital and he, and he was pronounced dead. And he left behind a wife and two daughters. And I think about him a lot. He was a good man. And um, that's what I remember about King's Towers apartment. Until a few years later, about eight years later, and I was a brand new district chief and I was asleep in the firehouse and the tones hit and the lights come on and the address, King's Towers Apartments. And, um, you know, it's an address that you hear in your mind, like I said, that has a lot of connotation with it. And so I, uh, I got in the vehicle and in my community, the, the district chief rides alone while all the other firefighters would ride together and they're communicating. I'm trying to listen to the radio on the way. Um, it's a short drive from the firehouse where I was stationed in. And um, 
I can drive a little bit faster because I'm in an SUV and the, you know, the firefighters are in the big engine. There's some narrow streets on the way to the apartment complex. And so I caught up to the engine because they had to connect to the fire hydrant. And we kind of made this curve up a hill up to the big first building, the same building where we lost our firefighter. And this time fire is blowing out of the third floor window. This is a normal day for a fire chief. It's what I do. And I know that environment. And, you know, as a fire, young fire chief, I always wondered what my test might look like. And I think as I looked at that building, I realized I was facing a test in its own way um, with the fire. And so the, I made my size up to the communication center. I immediately called for a second alarm because as I looked at the parking lot, I didn't see any people. And I was concerned because I realized that we had a high potential for people that might need our help and might need to be rescued. So I called for more help right away. Let me stop you for a second, Chief. Tell me what that size up was. What we, what kind of information were you providing? And just keep in mind that the people listening to this podcast may not be firefighters. So, so maybe, maybe talk about that, that size up a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. So as we arrived on the scene, I made a size up. And a size up really is we're trying to paint a picture for the other firefighters that are coming in behind us. Um, what we see. So I'm telling them about the building, that this is a five-story, we call it an ordinary constructed building, and that we had heavy fire from two windows on floor number three that we could see. Um, And then I requested some more help. So we're just trying to tell the firefighters that are coming in behind us um, the kind of obstacles that we face. So what's your standard assignment for a building this size? How many engines, ladders, rescues? What are you guys rolling on this? We send a lot of firefighters to an apartment building fire. So there's about 45 firefighters in 14 different companies that are coming. Because this address is pretty isolated on the north end of our city, some of those f- folks have a long drive to reach the uh, reach the scene. Sounds good. Good. Keep going with your story. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Nope. Um, so the, the size up is made and the fire engine is the first on the scene. And the job of the fire engine is to put the fire out, which means they're going to spray water on the fire. So they're stretching the hose line into the building. And um, as they arrive, I realized this is going to be a long stretch. So I gave some orders to the next fire engine that they would provide some assistance there. We have a ladder truck that comes next. The job of the ladder truck is to make sure everybody's out of the building. So I you know, made sure that they were very clear that this building is one that we really needed to search right away. And we start as close to the fire as possible looking for people because, you know, those are the people that are going to need our help first. And I always wear a stopwatch around my neck when I get to a fire. And I, as soon as I arrive on scene, I start the stopwatch. And that just gives me an internal timer. It lets me see what is real time versus what I think time might be. You know, you're, sometimes things get seem like it takes forever and it really only takes 10 seconds. So I was wearing that stopwatch and I remember watching the fire, it's blowing intensely out of this third floor window. And I'm looking at my stopwatch and that number is about two minutes beyond where I'm comfortable. But I know I've got people in the building. And I just remember looking at this hose line and then another hose line that followed by another engine. And each one of those hose lines had a name on it. And the name was the officer of that company. And the first line was named Daryl for my, my friend and the lieutenant that works for me, Daryl. And the second line was named Marcus because I knew Marcus was on that line. And I knew with them was our other friend, David. And we had all worked together in the same firehouse as younger firefighters. And so while I knew I was well beyond what I was comfortable with in my timer, 
because I knew the names on those lines and I knew the caliber of the people that were in there and I trusted them with all my heart, I knew I could wait it out. And wait, I did. (laughs) And just a couple of minutes, the uh, most comforting sign you can ever see as a fire chief is when you see the water blowing out of that same window, meaning the guys had made the hit. We call it making the push when they actually push their way down the hallway into that high heat environment and extinguish the fire. And it was such a sigh of relief. The one thing I found being a fire chief is um, I really never was scared in a fire. I always was happy to go in and it was exciting. Maybe the challenge of it, it was an adventure. Um, but boy, watching other people go into the fire that I sent them into, that'll make you nervous. Uh, but I watched that fire be extinguished and it was such a sigh of relief. What I found out a few seconds later was that those firefighters had encountered uh, the same construction deficiency in this building. It still existed. The way the staircase was formed actually blocked um, our hoses from advancing properly and they had a real problem. The good news was that this time the firefighters um, had been trained on what to do when they encountered that problem. And we use something called a Z kink where they basically fold the hose on itself um, and it lets them um, drain some of the water out and move it. And so they use that technique. Um, I found out the reason I didn't see people when I first pulled up on the scene was that everybody was already in their car because the fire alarm system worked perfectly in this building. It didn't work on the first fire. Um, I found out that the um, fire didn't get deep into the building because the door closers that weren't in place on the first fire had been mandated by the building department on that second fire. And all of those things and a host of other issues that we found on the first fire had been corrected this time. And they were corrected because we took the firefighters' death so seriously and we studied it and we trained on it. And in this second fire, everything that we had tried to make better worked. And so we had no injuries, no civilians were injured, no firefighters were injured. The fire went out very quickly. In fact, everybody's back in the apartments today, living there, everything's fine again. And uh, reflecting back on that fire, I was, you know, of course, tremendously proud of the firefighters. I always am. They do a great job in our district and I'm proud of them. Um, But I was also really proud to know that I felt like we did right by Daryl, the firefighter that was killed. And we did right by him. And um, we took the lessons learned, the hard lessons learned, um, but we put them to use and we saved other lives as a result. You know, and I, and I think that's as as horrible as it is when we lose a brother or sister. I think the amount of knowledge that we gain as as a group from that incident is invaluable. You know, and I remember going through the fire academy, you know, years and years ago and learning the drills that were developed to get firefighters out of difficult situations based on firefighters that weren't able to get out of those situations. So that's one thing that I'll say about the fire service is, you know, it's a dangerous job. It's inherently dangerous what we do, but we don't take incidents lightly and we always walk away with knowledge so that hopefully it doesn't happen again. You know, over the over the course of thirty years, I'm sure you have have seen you know your share of fires and your share of of incidents. And I wonder if you know what else in your career stands out maybe as much as this particular fire does, or is that or is this it? Is this the fire of your career, or are there other incidents? 
No, I think the only thing to add was that this is the second um, line of duty death where I was, you know, directly involved in one way or the another. Um, we had a second line of duty death very early on in my career, and I had, I was working that day and responded on that scene. Um, and I can definitely say the same thing where all of the lessons learned from that tragedy, we applied again um, and really grew our organization. Um, but it's it's still a terrible hit. Um, especially to see that firefighters, kids who are now adults who were babies when he was, when he was killed. Um, but to see them now, it's like, we're proud of them, but I'm always sad that, you know, they don't have a dad that's with them. Yeah. that's always a tough thing for, for us firefighters to, to deal with. When I put in the second alarm that makes a few people's phones ring at home, but not many, it's a second alarm fire for us is a pretty routine incident. And I remember not very long into the incident, looking up and one of our assistant chiefs, who would be my boss, um, was rapping on the window of my SUV and he'd already gotten on scene. And I kind of asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I heard the address and I had to come. And he said, I'm not the only one. All the other assistant chiefs are on the way also for the same reason. And that made sense to me. Um, but probably the biggest compliment I got was the one person that wasn't there. And the fire chief was at home in bed and the dispatch center called him on the phone and he asked, who's in charge of the fire? And they told him it was me. And he said, well, okay, call me back if they need anything. And he hung up and he went back to bed. And uh, I always appreciated the sentiment of uh, the fact that I was trusted in that moment, even though it was uh, an address that was pretty notable. Well, it sounds like from from listening to you that that trust was certainly earned over a long career. Any uh, any key takeaways from this fire that you want to add? Um, a few things. One is that um, we tell our firefighters to always be ready and that any call that they receive um, could be one that is a life and death incident. And that was the case here. This was also an incident where the life and death issue for our firefighter happened later on in the incident. Um, and again, it's a reminder to our firefighters that we really can't let our guard down when we're on the scene. Um, so for as much pride and joking around and things that we do in the firehouse um, to have fun and it's a job where, you know, most firefighters would tell you they love their job or they have the job of their dreams. You hear stuff like that a lot. It's still a job that can jump out of its box pretty quick and harm you. And that was the case here. And so it's just something that we live with and it's the good and the bad of this job. And we see it all the time. Certainly even the day that the, the firefighter was killed, you know, they made 13 rescues. I would say it was our firefighters worst day, but for the 13 people we pulled out of that building, it was their best day. It was the day we saved them from a fire. Um, and so it's a unique life that we live. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way, but it's, um, it's something to kind of be aware of and keep in the back of your mind. Well, I, I think that's as good a takeaway as any. And you're right. Complacency will get us in trouble. And you are correct, too. It, it is the greatest job in the world. And it's a dangerous job and it's a tough job at times. So, um, you know, I appreciate hearing from you and hearing your perspective and, you know, with your long career and your experience, I'm sure there's a number of things that you've seen. And I hope you'll come back on the podcast at a future date and maybe share another story with us. And, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners would like to hear from you. So thanks for taking the time and sharing this story. 
Um, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for the for the first fire and the way it turned out, but I'm, I'm also glad for the lessons that were learned and the knowledge that was gained. And hopefully uh, your guys will stay safe moving forward. Well said. Thank you, Phil. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.